Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, a podcast about soundtracks, music, and movies. Each episode features a guest and focuses on a specific soundtrack and the personal stories connected to it. Now here's your host, Ryan Pack. Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, a podcast where we talk about soundtracks and our personal connections to them. Uh, Today we are going to talk about... Um, the 2010 David Fincher directed film, The Social Network. It's celebrating its 10th anniversary. Um, so it's fitting that we talk about the soundtrack. Today we are talking about the soundtrack with my good friend Brandis Wilson. Brandis actually helped me uh, put this podcast together, or she kind of helped me uh, come up with the idea. Up until 2010, Brandis was also a huge Nine Inch Nails fan. So I figure if we were going to talk about um, Trent Reznor's most famous movie score, uh, that she would be a fitting person to talk about that with. First so of all, the sh- oh, sorry, welcome to the show, Brandis. <laughs> First of all, let me ruin the show by cutting you off and talking over you. Second of all, I would like to point out that I am still a huge Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails fans. In the event that he happens to hear this, I do not want him to think that I have left his flock. I have not. I am still a huge fan. And also, if anyone has any complaints about this show, they can direct them all to me. I will take all of the blame for all of my really bad advice. So by all means, send me a suggestion box and I will light them on fire and never read them. So Brandis, in 2010, they announced that The Social Network is coming out. Um, you hear the news that Trent Reznor is doing the film score. What is going through your mind as a, as a fan of his? So I can't say exactly when I knew that was going down, but that was when he was obviously like really huge, um, still was coming off of a lot of press for like previous albums um, and like his going away tour, um, you know, for the first time. So he was still doing a lot of interviews. So I feel like I definitely knew he was switching over to scores and working on a film, maybe not exactly which one, but long before it came out. So when The Social Network did come out, I was already like totally dialed in. I was like, I'm going to go see this. Um, It sounded like a cool movie anyway. Probably would have seen it anyway, but obviously knowing who it's scored by, I was like, give me a ticket, front row seat, except not that gives me a headache. But (laughs) I was definitely like, super gung-ho I wasn't like oh he's going Hollywood I was like all for it because honestly I think of him as a composer first even with his music um and like a musician or a front man like second third um definitely to me he's like an amazing composer and so like transitioning that from his you know albums into like music soundtracks just made a lot of sense to me so I was excited and so when you first saw the movie, did it kind of blow your mind when you, you know, heard those first piano notes or, you know, how did you experience, like, was it distracting, like knowing that Trent Reznor scored this movie when you watched it the first time? Well, <laughs> so the first time um, I didn't even notice, but the second time um, I actually rewatched it um, just yesterday to kind of refresh myself, but I'm pretty sure the very beginning of the movie opens with White Stripes, Ball on a Biscuit, which 
I don't think I noticed the first time I watched it because I was just like, you know, it's a movie. Um, I maybe wasn't as much of a White Stripes fan then as I am now. But on rewatching it now, I was like, holy shit, I'm here to watch Trent Reznor, but there's Jack White, my other love. Um, so I was like totally thrown also because Ball and a Biscuit is like my favorite song. Um, but then immediately after that, it goes like hardcore strong into total like Trent Reznor score. And so I think that was like for the first time I saw it in theaters, like that was just like really thrilling. It wasn't distracting. It was like energizing, I guess. I was like, yes, like these very first chords, like straight up Trent Reznor, a thousand percent um, Atticus Ross, like definitely something that, um, you know, really sounded like them. And it was coming immediately out of um, them releasing Ghosts. And so again, like I said, that was just like a natural progression. So it was like seeing the evolution of Ghosts up on screen. It was like really exciting. And I mean, once you sort of get into the action of the movie, um, you know, I was definitely paying much more attention to the movie, but I was still cognizant of the score. Obviously, I can't say how much of that was because it was so um, attention grabbing. I know a lot of people have or critics have had like issue of it called too much attention to itself. I can't speak to that because obviously since I am like a Nine Inch Nails fan, I'm going to notice it, but it didn't bother me at all. I thought that it like definitely kept a really good rhythm and it like provided this underlying angst and like unease and momentum throughout the entire movie that really helped tell that story. It made the whole story like super tense. And I think maybe a lot of people who aren't like used to listening to Nine Inch Nails and Trent Reznor, maybe that was a bit too much angst for them, but I thought that it married really well with the film personally. Oh yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think that it's pretty minimal like, you know, it's obviously not um, like in the background, but, you know, I don't think that it clashes like with the dialogue. Like it's a very dialogue heavy film because, you mm-hmm. know, it's written by Aaron Sorkin. Um, but I feel like, you know, there's only a couple spots where there's where it really showcases the music. And in most of the film, in my opinion, it's kind of working in the margins. Yeah, for sure. I definitely think, I mean, again, like I said, I'm super biased, so I will never know what that movie feels like to the average non-Nine Inch Nails aficionado. But for me, I was never distracted by the soundtrack at all. I think just that like signature, like reverb, again, like provided that angst. And it was very much like a background, just kind of like very subtle, like you're aware of this unease, even though it's just like this beautiful cinematography across like, you know, a college campus, but there's just like this underlying element of like, I feel very uneasy and very tense. And that's exactly like probably what he was scoped to do. Like, that's the ask. This movie is a very uncomfortable situation. It's the middle of like two um, lawsuits against, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, who's apparently according to this movie and real life, um, not necessarily a nice person. The movie definitely makes him out to be an asshole, but you get that just the angst that all the characters are feeling. And I think that that's great. I think with David Fincher being chosen to direct the film, um, if you're familiar with his, with his filmography, you know, he's done nothing but unsettling films, you know, from, from alien three to fight club to seven, I think seven came out before fight club. You know, he's known for telling these dark, uncomfortable stories. And I think at first glance or, you know, the first thought that comes to mind is like, why is he doing a movie about social like Mark Zuckerberg? Um, And then I think when you hear the music and you see kind of how the movie unfolds, 
while there's not like serial killers and a bunch of blood. It's it's just like being uncomfortable for like two hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially with a lot of like, you know, like you trust your friends and like how he treated his best friend and that sort of thing. Like it's a much smaller story than like aliens or serial killers, but it's still just as unsettling um, to use your word because, you know, it's like you would think that your best friend has your back and here's like the opposite case in a self-titled social network it's like very anti-social behavior so i think that that's just like a really nice nice juxtaposition and a lot of like texture and layers and that's something that nine inch nails and Trent resner both obviously one and the same um are really good at capturing like that texture and those layers and like the subtlety of you know angst and um unease so it's celebrating its 10th anniversary um i've seen some articles come online I've seen some articles come out about how influential the soundtrack is. You know, obviously Trent Reznor has worked with David Fincher after The Social Network, and he's done some other films as well. How have you seen the influence of Reznor's work in in movies post-2010? I definitely think that it was very experimental for other people and maybe a little bit like mind blowing. Again, for me, it was, yep, this is ghosts, but like up on the screen because I had followed him for so long and I was so familiar with his instrumental work and again, thought of him as a composer first. But for the mainstream people who aren't like used to Nine Inch Nails and maybe even for like the film world too, it was very different. I mean, you know, like, Probably if anyone knows anyone who does score, knows a name in like who of someone who does scores, it's Hans Zimmer. And this is like the opposite of that. It's like music deconstructed. Like you said, it's very minimal. It's very like textural. It's not a melody. It's not traditional instruments. It's like very different and unique. And I definitely think that even if I haven't really seen a lot of movies other than like other ones scored by Trent Reznor, using that more industrial sound that he has. Um, I mean, maybe there are, I haven't seen them, but I've definitely noticed, I think, a trend in being more experimental with their overall tone of the whole soundtrack instead of like maybe they would use the more textural stuff for like one or two moments. But now I think he's kind of opened the door for being a lot more experimental for entire film soundtracks that you don't have to have like, you know, like the more traditional melodious like sounds and like um or songs you know that like have this beginning and an end like it can kind of just bleed through like the whole movie and that's kind of what I love about his work Uh, obviously you're familiar with his Nine Inch Nails work and um I assume that you've seen more than the social network or you've heard more than the social network score is this really is this his best score or is this just his first score so um, I've seen The Social Network twice when it first came out and I rewatched it. Um, I hadn't seen The Bird Box, which I know that like our Bird Box, I know a lot of people had, a lot of people talked about it, but I just never got around to it. And I was like, oh, I should watch more of his work before I do this podcast with you. Definitely want to be a great guest and do my homework. So I watched that. And for people out there listening, definitely do not watch it by yourself at night in the middle of COVID. Um, bad idea. It's a little too real. <laughs> Uh, I think I was experiencing a little bit more anxiety watching it than normal. But um, so between that and Gone Girl, I've only actually seen three of his scores. I haven't seen Girl with the Dragon Tattoo um, or anything else. I think he also did one with Jonah Hill. I haven't seen those. But 
out of the three, the social network, Bird Box, and Gone Girl, I actually think I'd like the social network the most, probably for the reason why critics maybe, I mean, I know that it was obviously like won an Academy Award and I think it won. I know it was at least nominated, but I'm pretty sure it won. Yeah, it won. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. I know there are a lot of like vocal critics out there, even despite that, that they thought that it just called too much attention to itself. But to me, the social network felt the purest and the most of Trent Reznor. Um, Gone Girl seemed to kind of fade in the background too much to me. It didn't um, stand out. And then Bird Box felt like he was being pushed into a more traditional sense. It did have more of like the traditional melody and more of like the traditional instruments. Um, it's not that I didn't like it. I think if you hadn't told me that it was Trent Reznor, I mean, I might still probably would have guessed that, but leaving him out of it, I still would have like really enjoyed the score. I liked it, but I don't think that it's necessarily his best. So I think I might like the social network the best. So I think one of Trent's signatures is he's able to write a beautiful melody, but he add like a little flourish that makes it just a little unsettling mm-hmm. or makes it a little, you know, there's just like something that kind of like some small thing he'll do that kind of changes it from like just purely beautiful to like beautiful. And then like all of a sudden, like it's a little twisted at the end. Yeah, exactly. He's definitely amazing at capturing moods and not just necessarily composition, although definitely composition, but also in the unique instruments um, or instrumentation that he uses. He definitely like that's why I've always thought of him as a composer first is yes, his music is great, but it's more about like the feeling and how quickly he can change from like that very beautiful piece to like tragedy to something else. It's like he can flip it on a dime so quickly. I was fortunate enough to see him perform a solo set. I think it was in 2006 at the Bridge School Benefit. So it was just him and a piano. Huh? You saw that in person? Yeah, I saw that in person. Oh my God, so Um, jealous. I've only seen that online and that was amazing. Right, so it's just him and a piano and a string quartet, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, so I got to see him perform these songs stripped down. Um, when I heard The Social Network was that he was going to move into scoring, you know, I immediately thought of that 2006 performance, you know, just everything so stripped down. And it was cool to see what his music looked like without you know, on a very minimal level, you know, like if you're only used to like radio nine inch nails, you know, you don't really like, it's harder to place him as a film composer, but if you can see some of those songs stripped down, or if you listen to the fragile, which basically got zero airplay, you you definitely see how much thought goes into his music and how, um, actual, how musical it actually is. Yeah, definitely. The Fragile um, is to me what gave me the thought that he was first a composer because he does have like such an amazing, so many amazing um, instrumental songs and kind of um, deconstructed songs on The Fragile. And so it does make me sad too that like that never really got much airplay and people aren't familiar with The Fragile because to me that's my favorite album hands down. Like if you ask, I would say The Fragile and then second, the still which is also like a whole bunch of like really deconstructed songs and i didn't know this but apparently some of those songs were actually supposed to be for a score that fell through and so that makes a lot of sense because they were very much like more ethereal deconstructed instrumentals and 
those are actually two of my favorite albums. It doesn't mean I don't love his radio stuff. Um, obviously, Pretty Hate Machine and all that, like really great too. But The Fragile and um, Still are like my two favorite ones. I don't think I've heard The Still, but I really... Like if I go back to a Nine Inch Nails album, it's usually The Fragile. You know, obviously Downward Spiral is a classic as well. But usually I go back to The Fragile. And, you know, I like instrumentals like La Mer, like that really, like, you know, when I heard that, I was like, oh yeah, he could totally do a film score by himself. So when I went to go see The Departed with friends in theaters, obviously back when we used to like go to theaters because we could leave our apartment, you'd have like all the trailers before. And randomly, it seems like an odd pairing, but they played the trailer for 300 um, before that. And that trailer was cut to, oh, just like you imagined from um, Fragile. And it's like, again, one of my favorite songs. So like first note, like first note, I was like, yes, a thousand times. Yes. I want to see this film just because they made the choice to um, set it to this song. And then later um, someone else did the score for the actual movie. But I was like, I liked that too. Um, I think it's Tyler Bates. And so I went to download it on Apple Music. Yes, I know. And there were so many hate comments. Like people were so angry because they went to download this um, this score wanting that Nine Inch Nails song that the trailer had, but it wasn't because it was obviously cut for the trailer. It wasn't actually in the actual movie. And people were like, where was that song? Where was that song? And you had like all the Nine Inch Nails fans being like, it's the fragile, it's Nine Inch Nails, it's the fragile. And like just so many comments, like that's what people are going for, which a little sad for Tyler Bates because I think he did a good job, but literally everyone who went to find that soundtrack was like not a Nine Inch Nails fan. Like they weren't familiar with Nine Inch Nails. They didn't know who who they were, but they were like that song that that trailer is cut to is the shit. And like it is, it's like it just really grabs you. So yeah, like the fragile should have gotten way more attention and I don't know why it didn't. It was like just amazing. Uh, Speaking of movie trailers, even though Trent is not involved with the Social Network trailer, that cover of Radiohead's Creep is, like, that was everywhere. Like, everyone was talking about that as well. I don't actually know if I remember seeing, I mean, I'm sure I did, but like I said, I was already like, oh, Trent Reznor's scoring a movie, sign me up. So (laughs) by the time the trailer was, like, floating around, I was like, yeah, uh uh-huh, yeah, yeah, I already have a ticket. (laughs) So my friend was graduating college. And he has the same birthday as Conan O'Brien. And for his college bucket list, he wanted to go see Conan's show. So I was like, all right, let's go. Um, So we just went on the day of his birthday, and we didn't really look at who was going to be there because that wasn't the point. And the musical guest was, I don't know how to pronounce it, but basically the brothers who put together the choir that does Radiohead's Creep for the Social Network trailer. So the trailer was that was that um, popular that, you know, late night shows felt like they needed to book the artist that did the Radiohead cover of the Social Network trailer. That's crazy. <laughs> it's like might be the most attention that any movie trailer has actually gotten. <laughs> so let's talk about some Nine Inch Nails um, movie soundtrack work. Cause I, and, and I think this is another clue. Um, this was another clue to me of how successful Trent Reznor would be as a soundtrack composer. You know, in the 90s, he was killing it on soundtracks, whether it was 
I, I think the Lost Highway soundtrack is probably the most popular one with, you know, Perfect Drug, which is one of my five, one of my favorite Nine Inch Nails songs. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, you know, he had, what, he had songs on like the Crow soundtrack, um, Natural Born Killers. I believe he's on, I believe they're on there as well. But I feel like every soundtrack Nine Inch Nails was on in the 90s, like they had the best song on the soundtrack. I'm a terrible person. I've actually never seen Natural Born Killers, so <laughs> I haven't heard the soundtrack that um, he had a hand in producing, so I can't speak to it. But again, doing my research for this and I saw this, I was like, oh my God, like 1994 Natural Born Killers, like he produced that soundtrack. That's like so early. Like if you think about one of his most famous concerts, probably at the height of Nine Inch Nails was like the 96 Woodstock. So like that was so early. Like we think you know, Trent Reznor getting into the movie business, we start with the social network. But the reality is he was already doing so many, like producing so many soundtracks or at least having a song on the soundtrack like way before that. Um, I knew about Lost Highway and The Crow, but like the Natural Born Killers thing like totally blew my mind. So now I'm going to have to go watch that. I I forget what he, what did he actually do for Natural Born Killers? I think I read that he like produced like the whole soundtrack. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what was on. I remember there is a great Velvet Underground cover by the Cowboy Junkies on there. Leonard Cohen is on it, and that feels very fitting. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got Peter Gabriel on there. Um, and then you have a handful of Nine Inch Nail songs. So you have Burn, um, Something I Can Never Have, which is edited and extended, and A Warm Place. Uh, there's also a Dr. Dre and a Dog Pound song on the soundtrack. So <laughs> Maybe that's how the whole Beats thing went down. That it's, was you, the initial uh, introduction. It's it's possible. And I, rem- I believe Dr. Dre mixed a song or two on the Fragile. Okay, I didn't know that. I remember like when the Fragile came out, I was looking through the liner notes with a friend and I was like, Dr. Dre worked on this that dr dre is there more than one (laughs) i think there can only be one (laughs) Um, but it's well super small so you have crazy collaborations all the time yeah and they were both on interscope so i'm sure someone introduced them at the time yeah definitely so natural born killers was released in 1994 that is an oliver stone film Lost Highway comes out in 1997. That is David Lynch. He um, very quickly caught the attention of some of the biggest names in Hollywood. Like he wasn't just doing some random indie film for some first timer. Like he's working with very well-respected, well-established directors. In the 90s, either you're like a Nirvana fan or a Nine Inch Nails fan, like one or the other. You kind of had to identify one way or you know, the other, unless you were like, I only strictly listen to pop music or something. So like, it was such a movement. I mean, I know you covered Clueless um, a few weeks ago, a month ago, I don't know, like lost track of time, but I love the Nine Inch Nails reference, like in Clueless, like a movie like that, it's meant for like teens, you know, like a modern remake, it's very like whimsical or whatever, but he's still in there. And I keep watching all of these like older, like 90s films. And it's like Nine Inch Nails is dropped or Trent Reznor is dropped. And so many of them just like as a casual reference that 
you know, for wanting to be the indie, like angst, anti-social sort of persona, like he was much more mainstream than I think we remember him for being. Oh yeah, there's a there's a Nine Inch Nails reference in um, Captain Marvel as well. <laughs> yeah, there is. I don't oh. know. Have you seen that? I did, and I saw that immediately. I was like, I see you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've cut it out of like five episodes where like I make fun of how, you know, in this random, this random, not even boutique, like this random just, you know, store on the side of the road. She's like, I got I to gotta get a disguise. And <laughs> she finds a Nine Inch Nails t-shirt. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like so ubiquitous. Like if you're talking about the 90s, you're either talking about Nirvana or Nine Inch Nails. And so like, yeah, I mean, especially like if you're that mainstream with music that's anything but mainstream, like music that a lot of people just can't handle. I think that's an easy way to get the attention of, you know, film directors and producers. Like he was making a lot of cultural waves. So it made sense to try and pull him into their stuff to be culturally relevant. And, you know, in the 90s, music videos were big. Mm-hmm. So, and and the Nine Inch Nails video for Closer, like, that is, like, it got nominated for a lot of, like, MTV Music Video Awards. Um, I don't remember how many it won, but it was a very um, dark and iconic video. And that was done by Mark Romanek, who eventually directed One Hour Photo with Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. And I guess um, Trent was kind of selected to score that, but it just didn't work out. Yeah, like those went in a different direction. Yeah, those are the songs that became still, which I didn't know about until you know I was doing this like research. I was like, oh, like still, which like one of my favorite albums was like actually started out as a score that didn't work out, which is interesting. Like, I wonder what happened in that creative process where um, they didn't move forward with his work. Cause obviously it's not like it's going to be not good. Yeah. I wonder who ended up doing one hour photo instead. It's a great question. I am. I am looking that up. One second. People I've never heard of scored one hour photo. Well, even more reason to really want to know why would you ditch Trent Reznor? and go with that person or possibly it was the other way around. Maybe he was the one who was like peace since we know he very much wants things to go his way. <laughs> right. It's yeah, totally I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to see who did it. Like maybe they're from a band that I've heard. I just don't know their names. Um, but anyway, so related to uh, music video director. So David Fincher is also a renowned music video director he did videos all the way back in the 80s. So he did some Madonna videos. He did Express Yourself in Vogue. He did he did George Michael's Freedom 90. Not and, too shabby. Uh, That's a yeah, lot. Yeah, not too shabby. Um, <laughs> and then he also did a Nine Inch Nails video um, for the song Only off of With Teeth. One of the only Nine Inch Nails videos I've actually seen. Gasp, I know. It's hard to say that I'm a true fan when I think I've only seen music videos for with teeth i haven't actually seen a lot of music videos that's my defense i know it's not much of one but i actually haven't seen um the video for closer that you referenced i would recommend it i mean it's it's it'll it'll stay with you it's a pretty dark video i will google it right after this (laughs) i don't know if the only video is when 
Fincher and Trent Reznor first met, but you know, it, it, it makes sense that at some point Fincher and Trent Reznor would collaborate. Like it totally made sense to me. Like, I feel like they both share like a very mutual, like dark artistic direction, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. They definitely like complement each other really well. I think it's a totally natural like collaboration. Yeah. And they're both very technical while both being, while, while being artistic at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, for all of the live performances for Nine Inch Nails, obviously just the energy on stage and the authenticity um, was always there. That's what I always loved is they never felt like they were half-assing it or just kind of like going through the motions. They always had this raw energy that made it feel really authentic. But in addition to that, they brought so much like production quality, but not like in a cheesy, like whatever way, like Trent Reznor just got like really into the details and the weeds of like everything about the lighting and any like LED graphics that were like behind them. Like he just really like, he produced every single element. So he's very like technical and in the weeds like that. So that could be a recipe for disaster because <laughs> you get two very like opinionated, headstrong people getting together who like both have like obsessions over the details or it could work out really well because they both like respect that they know that they care a lot you know so apparently since they worked together a few times i guess it worked out so do you know about um some of his upcoming projects i know that he's supposed to be doing or has done um actually the soundtrack or not soundtrack sorry the score for soul a disney movie that's supposed to be released in november so like a month but i guess will either be held back or released on disney plus considering everything with movie theaters and whatnot but um that will be really interesting um to see trent reznor plus disney (laughs) yeah it's a pixar film but obviously disney owns pixar well sure yeah same, uh, same like family friendly, cute, warm, uplifting. None of the words that you would usually associate with Trent Reznor or Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think I read somewhere that Soul is supposed to have like some sort of jazz theme. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that works with Trent Reznor. Yeah, I remember seeing some like concept art and I think you're right. It definitely seems very jazzy. So like, I mean, I don't, I have every bit of faith um, in him doing it. I just think it's going to be really interesting to see what direction he takes it and like how he interprets that. But more interestingly, I would just like to know how that came about. Um, Obviously, he's deeply integrated in Apple now and he is a lot more polished and he minds his P's and Q's a little bit more. He's way more corporate, but, you know, Apple is not Disney. So I just would love to know, like, the director, the producers of this film, like, at what point and what inspired them to be like, Trent Reznor, he's the one. <laughs> well, because he's 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 Oscar winning Trent Reznor now. Oh, yes, he's Oscar winning Trent Reznor, but it's just that's such a weird um, fit, I would Personally, me, like if I were making the film, you know, I love Trent Reznor, obviously super, super, super biased, but he's not even in the top five that I would consider. And I've even considered him for commercials. I work in advertising, I make commercials and I've even considered him for that. But 
a Disney Pixar film would still be at the bottom of the list of things that I would be like, Trent Reznor's a great match. So I'm really excited. I just have no idea when or how we'll see this film. I've pulled up the the Wikipedia for Soul, and it looks like he and Atticus are scoring the film. But um, if there's a jazz song in the film, those are written by John Batiste, who mm-hmm. is uh, Stephen Colbert's band leader. Oh, okay. That's cool. Or John Batiste. I think it's just Batiste. That's cool. Um, so, so they're not expecting Trent to write jazz music for the characters. Right. We still have to have that score work seamlessly with it. So what are, gonna, what are the other parts going to be? <laughs> right. But, you know, he, he doesn't have to worry about like a La La Land backlash of like, why is a white person pretending to invent jazz? Yeah, absolutely. Although I'm pretty sure he actually can play the saxophone. So, uh, yeah, I read that while researching that <laughs> that he he knows how to play some uh, brass instruments. Yep, he can play a lot more instruments than he lets on. For as much as he relies on that drum kit and a whole bunch of electronic instruments, um, he's very well rounded. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's important to point out that, like, with Nine Inch Nails records, like, he is pretty much the band in the studio. Absolutely. There are, like, a few, like, um, one of his touring musicians was on um, Still because it has, like, some live music. So, obviously, he just can't play live, like, four different instruments at the same time for, like, a live recording. Um, And then, obviously... uh, with teeth has Dave Grohl um, doing drums, but and there's a few other like here and there, but for the most part, all of the studio albums, it's him. So like every instrument you hear, it is him plus Atticus Ross doing the engineering. Um, Nine Inch Nails is literally his brainchild, like from beginning to end. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I think drums is the only thing. Drums is the only instrument where he'll um, kind of bring in other people if he needs, if he needs that live drum, if he needs that live drum sound. Yep, that's like the his one blind spot, I guess. <laughs> well, you know, you can't be perfect at everything. I mean, he plays the drum kit, so like, come on, come on, Trevor. Yeah, he can he can play drums. He just maybe <laughs> can't play drums like Dave Grohl can play drums. <laughs> well, that's a tall order. <laughs> But uh, then again, you have my other uh, favorite musician, Jack White, who, again, all the way around from guitar to drums. So, you know, again, no pressure. But why aren't you playing live drums, Trent Reznor, if you're listening? (laughs) (laughs) I would be so honored. (laughs) Um, So in 1996, he did a soundtrack for a video game. Are you familiar with Trent's Quake soundtrack? No, I am not. I have a vendetta against video games because they hate me. So I am not well versed in anything video game related. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I'd still love to talk about it. Tell me more. <laughs> so that is technically the first thing that he scored was a video game. Hmm. That's interesting. And I think they recently released it. Like, or they recently released it on vinyl. Oh, I see. Okay. It's a two it's a two disc vinyl. 
I remember playing the game. I don't think I remember the soundtrack. When I was playing computer games, um, when this game was out, I was living at home with my parents. I probably wasn't like blasting (laughs) music that loudly in the house. Certainly not music made by Trent Reznor either. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, I think I first heard Pretty Hate Machine because my brother-in-law owned it. So I think I would listen to that in the car with him, but yeah, not not in the house. Yeah, not with parents. I think uh, it's it's a little scary for them that angst. You got? Do you have a fun story to to close this out? Um. Well, there was that one awkward time when I actually met Trent Reznor in person. <laughs> oh yeah, tell me about that. Is that a fun anecdote to close the show? <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. So. Um, I'm from Orange County, but I've lived like the majority of my life in LA. And especially when I was like in college, this happened when I was in college and everyone had like, you know, people moving to LA um, would always be talking about movie stars that they saw or like celebrities because it was like new for them. And they'd be like, oh my God, I saw this person. I saw this person. And I was just like, it didn't really occur to me that I was quote unquote seeing celebrities a lot. It's just, I didn't care. Um, I don't like care about celebrities or famous people. So I just didn't process them. They were by me, but I didn't like see them, quote unquote. But obviously, as I'm like a huge Trent Reznor, Nine Inch Nails fan, if I were going to see one celebrity in all of LA, he would be the one. So coincidentally or not, um, he is actually like the first celebrity sighting that I am cognizant of. And one of the very few. Um, It was actually the day that year zero was released um i was in school and i was like in class it was like a really shitty day i forget like what was going wrong but i was just like not having it and i was like i'm gonna blow off my classes like i'm having a bad day um i was wearing a nine inch nail shirt because you know it was release of the year zero and i was like whatever i'm gonna blow off my classes i'm gonna go to best buy yes i know best buy um to go buy the album and I get there, I'm like walking over to the CDs because it's like, you know, back in the day when we bought CDs still. And I see this guy in the CD section, <laughs> like on the aisle where the ends are. And I'm like, holy shit, that's Trent Reznor. <laughs> and I just like keep walking. Like if anything, I speed up and I walk to the other end of Best Buy and I was like, oh my God, that's Trent Reznor. And I was like, it can't be Trent Reznor. Trent Reznor would not be caught dead in a Best Buy. There's no way it's him. I walk by again, not a creep, not awkward at all. Um, And I'm like, oh my God, it is him. I recognize his clothes. Also not a stalker. (laughs) But I'm like, (laughs) I've seen him wear that jacket in like a cover shoot, in like a a photo shoot for like a magazine article. That's definitely him. And I mean, like, let's be real. I knew it was him. I was just like in a state of shock, but I was like, oh my God, that's him. Kept walking, of course. I was like, I'm not approaching him. I'm wearing a Nine Inch Nails shirt. Like nothing could be more stupid or like sheepish than like, walking up to Trent Reznor, wearing a Nine Inch Nails shirt, being like, oh my God, I'm such a fan. I'm like beside myself, like panicking. I call my mom of like all people. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, mom, I blew off classes. I went to Best Buy to get the Nine Inch Nails record and Trent Reznor is in the store. <laughs> and she's like, wait, really? Go talk to him. And I'm like, no, I can't. She's like, you have to go talk to him. I was like, I cannot say anything. That's so dumb. She's like, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life if you don't go say something stop being stupid, go say something. And I'm like, but I'm wearing a Nine Inch Nails shirt. That's so stupid. She's like, it's flattering. I'm like, no, it's so stupid. 
And so like I hang up and I'm like, fine, I'm going to say something, but I can't deal with this nine inch nails shirt business. So I was like, oh, I know. Super smart. I'll buy something and like hold it in front of me so he can't see (laughs) the NIN on the front of my shirt. And I was like, what can I get that I'll use? I was like, aha, a ream of paper. And so by this time he'd made his way into the line. So I like quickly grabbed the album. I put it behind the ream of paper covering my shirt. I like walk up to him in line and I'm like, excuse me. Hi. I'm like a huge fan. Um, And he's like, he was super nice. He was like super pleasant. He was like totally humoring me like stupid dumbass girl in line behind him, totally fangirling over him. Um, But I have to caveat this for people who are not familiar. Year zero um, is the year that he had international tours scheduled, but he didn't have any U.S. tours scheduled yet. And this is when he did the whole ARG um, to release the album, like leading up to it. So it's like um, there were a whole bunch of like clues and things like online and in the real world. It's honestly like one of the best um, examples of an alternate reality game that I've ever seen. I reference it all the time in advertising. It was amazing. And I was aware of it. Um, I was working, I was moonlighting at like the college radio station. And so I was telling people, I was like, you need to go do this. This is like really cool. But I was pre-med. I was a pre-med student. I didn't have time to do it myself. So here I'm in line and I'm like, hey, I saw that you had like international tour dates. Why don't you have any US dates? Or I was like, when's the next US concert you're going to have? And he was just kind of like, oh, you know, like whatever, sidestepping the question, which I thought was like really weird. (laughs) Um, and then, you know, so it was like his turn to like check out. He like left. I think at one point I like might have like dropped my arm and he like laughed at the fact that I revealed this Nine Inch Nail shirt that I was wearing. Um, but it would have been totally fine if the story ended there. Would have been great. I would have been like, oh my God, I met Trent Reznor. It's amazing. Um, but as soon as I left that, I went back to the radio station. I told my friends, of course, I'm like, oh my God, I met Trent Reznor and I talked to him, blah, 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 blah. And they were like, oh, and you're here? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, oh, you didn't hear like just now? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He immediately left that Best Buy. Apparently he was buying some like last minute equipment to go do an underground concert, which is like supposed to be one of the best performances that he's done. It was at this like warehouse in like East LA. He like basically kidnapped people who were participating in the ARG, put them in buses with blacked out windows, took their cell phones, drove them out to this warehouse, did a surprise concert, and then had people like in SWAT storm the place. The whole thing was like art is resistance. And all of this went down. And so like I was the dumbass who asked Trent Reznor like one hour before his performance, when are you doing a U.S. concert? And he was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> dumbass like right now. <laughs> that was my experience with Trent Reznor. And then you got a job in advertising. <laughs> Yes. Then I did a total 360 or 180, I guess, math, um, and got a job in advertising. Yeah. Well, thank you, Brandis, for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me and giving me the opportunity to humiliate and incriminate myself on the internet. Uh, thank you for helping me put this podcast together. I am super honored. I am really excited how it's turned out. I've listened to all the episodes and they are amazing. I only hope that I can live up to that bar. I think you will. I think you have. (laughs) Great. Uh, Brandis doesn't really have any social media, so there's nothing to plug. But uh, thank you so much for coming on. Um, Obviously, I love talking to you uh, anyway, so this kills two birds with one stone.
yep, it's been a ton of fun. Thanks for joining us this week on Soundtrack Your Life. Make sure to visit our website, soundtrackyourlife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too.